Listen up, Gotham. This is Batman. Tune into the Bat Fanatic podcast with Sammy Warmhands. And if you don't, I'll be coming for you. Hey, everybody, it's the Dark Knight of Rap, Sammy Warmhands, and this is the Bat Fanatic podcast. Now we are back in the swing of things. I got on the phone. Ben Polanski, Evan Vaught, we're going to do this. i got to shout out our sponsor, Radar Toys, right here in Eugene. You can go to RadarToys.com and get free shipping in the U.S. Save 10% with the code BATFANPOD. All right. Now, I have to shout out Bill Finger, because at the time of recording this, I didn't realize that the man behind the red hood was a story that existed in 1951 and was some of the basis for this story. So, without further ado, we're going to dive in to the classic Alan Moore, Brian Ballin, The Killing Joke. All right, this is, I'm going to call it the third of a series. We had A Death in the Family, Under the Red Hood, and now The Killing Joke, book that was referenced in both of those other stories. This dropped in 1988, written by Alan Moore, illustrated by Brian Bolland. It was originally covered by John Higgins, but I believe the version that is out everywhere now is the 2008 recolored version by Brian Bolland, with lettering by Richard Starkins. I feel like we've seen his name around before on these two, haven't we? Lettering, right? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, for sure. I've seen his name before. Yeah, in Marvel stuff, I think, too. Mm. I think that the opening shots of this are iconic. It's, on some level, you look at it, and it's sort of trapped in 80s comic book format. You have a nine-panel opening page, but it so beautifully conveys motion of... Batman's arrival at the scene. I just think the fluidity of implied motion is so great. Like a, a film storyboard. Yeah, a yeah. storyboard. I appreciate the simplicity in the panels throughout this story. I don't think that panel orientation is necessarily a gimmick. It's just, it can be a really cool tool when yeah. used well by someone, but this isn't relying on any of that stuff. It's just, it's just straight up telling a story. There's a lot of interesting things done with mirroring because of the format, mm. where the one page will be present time and then the other page, the opposing page, will be a flashback, mm. but either ending ending and starting with two similar visual shots to contrast between the two time periods. Yeah. Yeah, this book does a lot with time that is really mm-hmm. effective. And I appreciate the uh, when they choose to, to do the flashbacks. And, you know, it's just one page, next page. There's no... That you do have the really cool coloration. Granted, I've never seen the original stuff, so I don't know what that looks like. But the way that Brian chose to recolor the flashbacks with the with the more flat palette or these kind of single color highlights, yeah, to, to be you know, because you don't have these like like wavy line, like oh we're in the past now, or some of the stuff we've been reading now, like oh it's a watercolor effect because it's the past, you know, it doesn't. It's relying on like a lesser version of that stuff, but I appreciate when the flashbacks fall. It's sort of like Mask of the Phantasm level to me. They all they come at really cool times in this story. And I also really like 
what you're talking about the portrayal i mean that's something i've learned in video editing like you'll have some sequences that are all in black and white some that are in color some that are somewhere in between there you know and what they do with the whole sin city thing is so good for the red hood because his suit is the penguin tuxedo basically with the red hood on so you have black white red and so when they reduce the entire format of those scenes boil it down to that it's great because you are just only focused on that character and his interaction in that world you're not necessarily as focused on the mobsters he's talking to and all this other shit but how he feels being talked to by those people also, the color choice, the fact that... Because it could have been black and white, and also that would have made sense just because of our connection to, like, black and white and cinema. Yeah. But the fact that it, the whole thing has this sepia type of tone makes it feel... You know, because these guys, they seem like some wise guys. This feels like a real flashback. Like, somehow we're in the 80s, and that seemed to happen in the, like... 1920s or 30s or something. Which is something I love when comics do that. Comics that have spanned a huge period of time when they all have like a sliding scale of time. So Peter Parker's like a teacher in his 20s. And so he was a teenager 10 years ago, but 10 years ago in the real world was like 70 years ago. Yeah. And usually they just kind of, they just have that, the scale keeps moving forward and they slide it. But I like this where talking about old school Joker stuff, suddenly they have gone 50 years in the past. Mm-hmm. As far as the style and the aesthetic of everything, but it's not distracting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looks really good. And it, it hammers that point across, like you're saying, like an um, old school mobster movie. And if you're thinking in terms of cinema, it's sort of a Godfather vibe to it, which yeah. is thought of as like a '70s picture, but it's also telling an earlier story. Yeah. So yeah. I mean in my mind, it still harkens back to, like you're saying, basically a decade prior to that, because I'm thinking the style of the era mm-hmm. in in film, not the style of the era in real life, which I didn't live. Mm. Yeah, because if this was time accurate, they would be wearing like uh, bell bottoms and have afros and big mustaches. And stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only 10 years ago, it's the, yeah. the roaring 60s. <laughs> <laughs> and additionally, Godfather often has kind of that warm autumn golden color palette going yeah. on too yeah browns and beige as they say yeah man at the top of this story they really just give it to you right out of the gate with that perhaps it'll be me perhaps you you know like in the the like yeah. who's gonna kill who in this how is this shit gonna fucking end when is this finally gonna fucking end you know, like like they really set this up as like this is gonna be the ultimate showdown. Uh-huh. Like we talked about on the last episode, it's that thing that especially the way that, that it ends, and we'll get to that later, but it's that thing that is still debated to this day, whether it's in Red Hood, whether it's in Dark Knight, whether some new incarnation we haven't seen yet, there's always gonna be that question of like this battle to the death and if that's the outcome that should happen or not. Well, if you look at both like what Batman is as a character, and what Joker is as a character, as we've talked about and lots of people have talked about that they are supposed to be reflections of each other or opposites. 
And so the kind of the idea of whether Batman's going to stop him permanently is tied up in his whole idea of whether he's going to kill people or not. Because it doesn't matter if he kills the Joker and stops the Joker. Evil still exists. There's always going to be somebody else. There's always going to be some threat that you could just kill away. Yeah. And so even, and I mean, that's something the Joker brings up a lot too, which is like, that's why he, in a lot of the modern versions of the Joker, he's not afraid of death or dying or things like that because it's more about turning Batman into him. Yeah. Someone who says the world is fucked, so I'm just going to kill it. I'm going to do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. But yeah, so I, this is another comic that I think I read either as a late teenager or maybe maybe in my early 20s because it was one that I heard of. Everyone says this is a seminal Batman story. This is like the one you have to read. Yeah. And, and I don't remember what I had read on either side of it, but then it didn't do a whole lot for me. That's it surprising did. because the Batmobile has a face, and I know how you <laughs> like that. Yeah, and also I want to say going back to last week's or two weeks ago's episode, <laughs> in the Red Hood flashback, there's a Batmobile that has a face too in the flashback, which I love. Uh-huh. But yeah, so this Batmobile has a face. <laughs> but just I don't I don't know if it's because this story doesn't have a lot of martial arts or stuff like that, <laughs> which is maybe what I was looking for from Batman then. Yeah. So it did land, or even the end with the uh, just the whole end meant something to me this time where when i read it before it was just kind of like oh that's the end i don't i don't understand you're like where's the there's no more pages what the fuck yeah what's the i don't understand is there a second issue i think it can also be one of those things that gets built up a lot too because it's so iconic that that if you've put it off for a long time you're like oh shit this has got to be like a you know 12 volumes and it's going to be so Whatever, you could just build it up to something that it's not. Turns out it's really short, and it explores some cool stuff. And I do like the portrayal of the characters, and I like the significance of the storyline. But it could easily be built up to be something even bigger than it actually is. Being this is written by Alan Moore. So Val Moore did V for Vendetta and Watchmen. He's a writer's writer. Yeah. I think Watchmen is on Times list of 100 best novels of the 20th century not just comics but novels yeah for sure so a lot of his stuff is extremely wordy i mm-hmm. mean some of those pages are basically the page of a novel with like a, little, a picture here or there yeah totally. um and so this book feels like that like a really heavy weighty literary mind mm-hmm. tackling batman and the joker mm-hmm. and and maybe what was happening the first time i read it which i was the batman stories i was more familiar with were things like cataclysm or no man's land like mainstream runs yeah so it'd be a long story with a more traditional villain and challenge where this is just this isn't that like there's no again like so many of these stories this is not the joker doesn't get put away and that's the end of it yeah this is a bare bones meat and potatoes psychological analysis there's no frills there's no action crazy as much as I love those other things about Batman's stories, the reason I find it so relatable as a character is the duality of him and the sort of inner turmoil. Like you said, just Joker being the perfect adversary. Diving deep on these two is... And and not just giving the origin of the Joker, because I know some people like that and some people don't. You also have the line about him saying, I mean, there are quintessential things from this book that are in every Joker we know and love, whether it's the multiple choice origin 
the idea of will or won't he be killed by Batman, any of these things that are just permanent Joker lore. But I think what's great about it is that it also gives a little bit of the insight into how he thinks, how Joker thinks, because we're always in Batman's head, and Joker's that fucking crazy wild animal we're trying to catch. But what he does to Gordon after he captures him, the way he's monologuing and talking about, like, I'm transforming you, you're going to turn out just like me, because I know what it takes. You know, he even says that to Batman, like, I know you had a bad day once. What was it, your brother got carved up by the mob or something, you know? Like, I mean, it, it reveals more about him just through dialogue than really we have come to know from most other stories. So I, as much as I love and I'm drawn to forever, the Batman character first Batman and forever. foremost. Yes, I knew it! No. <laughs> I knew it! You, hear, you heard me here, ladies First... First and foremost, not forever, but the reason... Batman, first and foremost. Is that the new Schumacher movie? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Your dreams have come true. Oh, God. It's a late birthday present. (laughs) But yeah, this is why I love the Joker. I'm not saying it's my favorite Joker story, but it has all of the things that make him who he is, and it is more revealing about his character than most anything. I love reading something and being kind of caught off guard by the hidden gems that you might find in stuff, and it, and it really keeps me open to the potential that there's something to find everywhere. Not everything is a throwaway line, especially with something, you know, Moore is, is writing it. So he's got to be sticking some stuff in there. But I, my favorite stuff is after he's kidnapped Gordon and he's just talking about coping with madness and how you actually have to be mental just to survive on a daily basis and what it takes to get through life in this weird twist on living in existence is awesome to me. Like there's so many little gems in there and a lot of it felt like reading a Chuck Palahniuk level novel with his level of personal insight. Yeah, because there's a bit of nihilism in that, and just the like, well, well, the world is suffering, so fuck it, let's do it, you know? Uh, yeah, like that's actually what it takes to survive. You actually have to be kind of crazy. I'm just helping you along. I'm not sure where I stand on the idea of a Joker origin, because I do think, in the same way that Batman is the best at everything and the toughest, because he is, because that's what the character is, and so a good writer can work that well. Maybe a less skilled writer you don't quite like understand or believe why Batman should be the one winning this fight or why Batman's any different than the people he's fighting. Yeah. So I think doing an origin story for Joker in the same way, Joker is his ultimate villain. He's the ultimate chaos. He's also extremely smart and can plan, but it's all for no reason or just for reasons that no one could understand. A rational mind couldn't understand. So I think to give him a backstory, you run the risk of weakening the character and turning it into, or again, like I said before, like, half the people Batman's punching are probably people who had their parents killed when they were little kids in front of them. Just like him. Like they, yeah, they're, they are him. So as soon as you give Joker a backstory, a sad story, it's it's like, well, what? why is this any different than the Riddler or Bane or somebody else? But because of the idea that maybe it's just one 
version of his backstory among many. And because it's so small, it doesn't really go into like who he was or his name or it's just such a tiny little slice of this character's life. I think it works really well and it avoids those pitfalls of making the character seem the same as every other villain. He just was kind of like a guy, but a few really bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And just twisted it. And what they do with that scene where he's with the mobsters and the cops come and pull him away and they're like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> like, <laughs> is this guy rat us out? What's happening here? And the way that they play this off with such emotional weight, there's almost no words on these last couple panels after he gets the news. Yeah. You know, that you're getting a window into, it's not just your wife died, but like we know that she's pregnant also. Mm-hmm. And they don't really dwell on that after the fact, but... I mean, we get the picture that this is a person who was already struggling, already on the edge, and he had one thing left to hope for. He was willing to sacrifice a lot by running with these guys to give to her and their child. And I I think just showing how much he had to give and how little he had in the first place, Uh I don't know. I, I think it, as much as people don't, they say, oh, I don't, oh, don't want to sympathize with the Joker. On some level, if we're buying into this shit, it's got to have some semblance of human psychology, you know? And they give you a really desperate person in an impossible place who loses his only hope to live. It is like, yeah, you don't want to sympathize with him. Maybe you want to empathize with him, but you don't want to sympathize with him. And I do think there's a fair amount. And I know I'm talking to someone who's dressed like the Joker before. What do you mean? Remember, he's the bad guy. He's a piece of shit. He's the bad guy. Even if he's like the ultimate chaos. But our hero, the whole point of all this, also empathizes with him and sympathizes with him. I mean, over the course of this story, he talks about like, how can two people who don't even know each other hate each other? Yeah. And I take a little bit of issue with that line because... To know someone is to know what they do. And these guys know what each other does. What each other do. They know, they know what they do. <laughs> Joker kills people and, is, and does things for wild and crazy reasons that no one can understand. And Batman stops people like him. So they know each other in that way. But, but Batman has sympathy and empathy for him and other criminals. So I think that's, that's important to the character. And I also think in this origin it's good too. Because even though his, his wife and child die which would, I mean, just, that destroys people. Which, that's, that's always funny. Yeah, it's lighthearted. That makes that's sense. That's why I laugh so much. It's yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they die, so that would crush anyone. But he's in this situation where he's about to commit some kind of crime with these mob guys who are really shitty. Like, I mean, we're talking bad people. Putting the Joker in contrast to these guys who are more like real terrible people, just so, like, numb and heartless to the suffering of other people. Yeah. But... The whole thing he was in the dire situation of his life is because he was selfish. He had a wife and a mm-hmm. child, and he had a job, and everything was working. And he took a selfish chance, which works out for some people, but it didn't work out for him. And so it's. It, Are you talking about me again? Yes. But what I mean to say is, I so relate even though, so much. <laughs> even though, even though you have empathy and sympathy for him within the story, it's written in a way where it's like. 
it's not just that a bunch of things happened to him. It, it's a situation that he got himself into. The most extreme parts of it happened to him, but he's a, he is somewhat responsible for the path that he's on. And so it's I like very, that because I was just going to say it's very pitiable on multiple levels. Yeah, and it prevents it from being so completely like he was just a great dude, and a couple bad things happened. Yeah, it's like he was a he was a real person, and he made bad choices. That that combined with these terrible things that happened to him twisted him because it wasn't just like if if all that stuff happened, but then he never went to the chemical factory and he was never he never tripped into the pit of acid or whatever the chemicals were. He probably wouldn't have been the Joker. No, but he would have probably ended up a piece of shit. And a criminal of some sort, yeah. Yeah, um, and I, I think that's the key. Is This is not a Jack Napier. It says on the cover of the jacket here from uh, Tim Burton that he was a fan of this. And there's obviously the Ace Chemicals scene in that film that mirrors this. And that was a guy who was already on that path, way down that path. And we see him fall into there. And so he becomes a little crazier and kind of just releases his inhibitions. But he was already sort of that guy. And in this, it's not just the chemical transformation, but it's all those other layers of human psychology, human struggle, suffering, ego, bad choices, whatever you want to call it, that make this the compelling origin it's it's not just the comic booky part. That's like the icing on it. Is after we learn those things, then we see him transformed. And I think it works really well with other ideas of the Joker and what he was. I think it still works really well with the idea of like a more Jack Nicholson one or like the Mask of the Phantasm, somebody yeah. who already was a really bad person beforehand and was transformed or modified. Like I, I don't, I don't think it has to be one or the other. And I, I like having this take on it and other takes and having them all inform the character, the yeah. same character, not having it be like this Joker with the old sad backstory is a different Joker than the one who was a piece of shit before. It's they're all the same character. Yeah. And again, if you look at Joker as just, he's supposed to be chaos in general, they're all different ways. Someone could arrive at that point. Well, and that's again, ties back to the whole, if I'm going to have an origin, I prefer it to be multiple choice. <laughs> yeah. I okay. love that line. Sam, earlier you were talking about the scene where the, the police officers come and talk to him. I, yeah. I particularly like the one panel where it's the very last one on the page, but the cop tells him this stuff, and then the next one is him just standing there, and he says, excuse me? Like, oh, yeah. yeah, he just goes, what? what? That's, that's like, so realistic, because that's like the guy yeah. giving the news. His family isn't dead, so he knows this is a terrible situation, but he doesn't know. And he's a police officer in this terrible city, so he probably has to give people bad news all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. He's like... I don't know what I'm supposed what? to do, so, yeah. Well, it, yeah, it feels like a real human interaction, and you can feel the pause from panel to panel. Like, yeah. he probably sits there for a second and then, huh? Now, I have read this a lot of times over the years, and so when it came time to do my homework, I was actually feeling kind of lazy, and I just wanted to start the day by, actually, I was going to watch the adaptation and then read it. Which I've never seen. Well, that's interesting. It was on uh, HBO there, and so I watched it, and the first 30 minutes is new material. But then as it cut to that rain puddle on the ground, and it was about to start the regular story, I was like, "Mm, hang on. And I paused it, and I ran, and I got the book. 
and I read the book while the movie narrated it to me because it's uh, from that point on it's very much a line by line remake I mean they take some liberties but uh-huh. I let Conroy and Hamill read me the story and that's cool. it was kind of interesting because I mean they change a few things here and there but I, that's what I wanted to point out in this scene where he gets the news about his wife they actually do something slightly different in the the way that he exits with the police, they stay in the room. The camera stays in the room with the mobsters and everything spoken to him is only implied in their faces and stuff. So there's, there's no dialogue there. And I thought of the many problems of that cartoon version, that was actually one of the things that was really nice. I thought the way that they made that just about the emotional resonance and not about the dialogue and then he, when he comes back in he recaps what they said like this thing about um a baby bottle heater having an electric short or something you know he 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 says something like that to the guys when they ask what happened but it was one of those in movies you get the the show don't tell sort of thing and yeah. in this it's very much scripted dialogue and so i thought that was a cool little twist it's a nice change, but I do think that's the most powerful part of that scene in the comic. Like you're talking about, Evan, is just the panel of awkwardness. Uh-huh. Of like, pause, because I mean, you, you see that in that moment of like, that's, that's, that's the weight of that. And then when he comes back, there's a shot of uh, Joe. I don't know if this is supposed to be Joe Chill or his name is just Joe, or they're just calling him Joe, like, hey, pal, hey, Joe. Uh-huh. He's sitting back at the table in the diner, and like, there's a woman on his oh. right side, and there's a guy on his left side, and their faces are they're just laughing. like... Yeah, it's just it's upsetting, and it's both in the sense of like these like more of these shitty people, but also if that's what it feels like when you're going through something and somebody else isn't, mm-hmm. like they're just yeah. back there, like that guy's face, and it's just like that's yeah, the, that's rough. the whole Todd yeah. Phillips uh, Joker, you know, the we live in a society. <laughs> For sure, we were talking about the origin story, and I don't really have any thoughts either way in regards to needing one or not needing one for this character i appreciate his mystique or like the overabundance like give him a bunch of origin stories so you don't know which one's the true one i think that's cool too yeah but one thing i do like is that while batman is full of of pretty human characters some of them get a little far on the scale like Cobblepot or croc or some of their origin stories can be a little more far out. And I think that one of the things that I really appreciate about the Joker is that he's, um, he really is a human dude and he didn't have even the benefits of Bruce turned out how he turned out because of will, but he also had Alfred or money or whatever. He had these like creature comforts, like we talked about. And this dude didn't have any of that stuff, but the thought, and I especially like, in this and in other things where they they explore not just the humanity, but like the psychology of the potential for all of us to be this person instead. Yeah. You know, like this, this dude's just a dude who took a turn and, and didn't come back from it. He just like snapped and embraced it. But all of us are dangerously close to, to being at this point, uh, not all of us, obviously. But oh, this, oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, <laughs> you doing okay, buddy? Yeah. Uh, 
go and get some sun. Get some sunshine. <laughs> you having uh, Capri Sun in the house? Maybe some Gushers or something? <laughs> just something sweet, right? You know, just make you feel good for a little bit. What year is this? Capri Sun <laughs> and Gushers? <laughs> Any Sunny D? Surge or <laughs> Fruit by the Foot? Is this 1993? <laughs> uh, Man. Oh, you guys want to read I, my I like new Scarlet Spider comic? <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man brand cereal. <laughs> yeah, it's Spider-Man 2099. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. <laughs> yeah, I just, I like the stuff that it's cool when it can be a vehicle for for thinking about ourselves or something instead, or the way that Watchmen is written in and it's, our, it's Dr. Manhattan's thoughts about humanity or something like that, because it's not just about this character. It's also about all of us, and I think that that's one of the things that is really cool about the Joker and can be a really cool tool for also exploring just human nature as well. Yeah, so if you, again, that's like the meat of this story. Yeah. Like, you can kill me if you want. Maybe you think you're going to have to, but like, there's just going to be somebody else that you're going to have to kill too. Mm-hmm. That's, this, you, you can do that if you want, but I mean, yeah, all then you're not you with, anymore. With Gordon later on, just talking about like the teetering balance of stuff. It, it, you know, we're talking about stepping off a curb and being injured or something, but that could also be your sanity. You know, like yeah. we're we're, you oh, know, yeah. we're just we're just kind of like a like a single weird incident away from um, from not from not being intact anymore. Yeah, you know, from like being changed in some way. Yeah, totally. We're like, well, potentially broken or something. I just think it's really interesting. I want to get. I like when Joker uh, just ties up Batman and Robin over a pit of piranhas. That's more <laughs> yeah. central to the character than this psychological nonsense. I love an edge lord Joker <laughs> <laughs> who talks about everything he's doing. Okay, um, I think we have to uh, talk about the most divisive part of the story, and that is the Barbara. Shooting. Joker in a Hawaiian t-shirt. Yeah, I mean, that's... When anything negative you have to say about the scene, on the flip of that, you have Joker in a Hawaiian t-shirt. So He looks, I think, he looks well, really cute. Yeah, what <laughs> I like, meant... What I meant is the divisive choice of wardrobe in that scene. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't... I completely disagree, because I don't know anyone yeah, who thinks that Hawaiian shirt isn't awesome. I mean, there's that, and His then... His look great. And then just like... Why is she wearing that yellow? Is it Easter? I mean, <laughs> that's what she wears at home. She just that's just her thing. Because that's I don't know if this is getting too uh, deep for something that probably isn't. But if like Barbara Gordon and Jim Gordon at home is like now we're back in the sixties, yeah, and eighties Joker and his Hawaiian shirt and his murder and his just psychosis is now like into the edgy eighties comics. There's more mm. modern, more realistic look at it. Do you think it feels that way a little bit because we have a, a white-haired Jim going through old newspaper clippings and she's serving them drinks on a platter? And it's, it's, got, it's, it's got a nostalgia feel. Well, yeah. it's kind of like what uh, Death in the Family looked like, even though Death in the Family is from the same era. It kind of feels like it's from 20 years before or 30 years before. Yeah, definitely. So it's just a little moment of that. I don't know why, but until reading it, this time it never even occurred to me why Joker might be wearing these tropical vacation clothes. I just was like, oh yeah, that's iconic, that's weird and it occurred to me that he's like a vacationing photographer and it's all about the camera this time. He's on a trip. He's a tourist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly, he's a tourist. Yeah, I was just like, why is he wearing this shit? I don't get it. Either way, it's still weird, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think that it is all about the photography and the tourist thing. Yeah. 
I don't. I try not to be woke because I don't feel like I'm woke. I will say. Just say I, your thought. You no, fuck. I, no, you're gonna. Um, this is one kind of like the death of Jason Todd, where the impacts of Barbara Gordon being crippled resonated through Batman comics for years. Yeah, for years, and only only until recently did they undo it. But it still happened. They just made it so she wasn't. She got better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so for something so significant, she doesn't get the best treatment in the story. Yeah, she's so she's such an aside or such a consequence of Joker's actions. Where all of it Jason is to Todd, hurt Gordon. That's all it is. It's just to hurt Gordon, yeah. which is fine because that makes sense for the character. It makes sense for the story, but and it also makes sense for the length of the story because it's short. But even something like Death in the Family, which is I think not as mature or doesn't have the depth of story that this has, still a fair amount of that is the relationship with Robin and what it is for his ward and all that kind of stuff. And so this one with Batgirl, who is also his ward, not Batman's daughter, but she was a superhero. He trained her to be like him also. Her maiming has such a small part of the story in terms of how it affects her that it's, I feel like that's an overstep or an oversight. And I think that's what they tried to correct with the animated film is that they mm. give it the prologue. That's the beginning, right? Yeah. Yeah. They give this prologue with Tara playing Batgirl in costume, Barbara in real life, Barbara with her friends, Barbara with Jim, Barbara uh, with Batman, and trying to actually give her a reason to be in the story other than to just get shot. Um, But it's also just sort of like tacked on, you know, because that, that really is the biggest... I guess, fault of this story is you're taking a significant hero character and not even acknowledging that they are that person, just yeah, going, but yeah, but you're also just uh, the cop's kid. Yeah, because I mean, the Joker yeah. doesn't know she's Batgirl. No. Gordon conceivably doesn't know she's Batgirl. So they wouldn't know that. But I mean, arguably, she's more important than Gordon is. Not in terms of the scale of the story, because he's been around much longer, but she knows who Batman is. Yeah. She's part of that. So it's for that to be so, so glossed over, but also so important to the story is a big oversight in my mind. I think maybe it's just writing on the fact that you're familiar with material before it. So you just know who it is. It does kind of give the feels of the White Knight's Alfred's death, where the story is so short that they're not going to spend any more time on it than they have to. Like, Uh, yeah, yeah, it's incredibly significant, but we're past it already. You know, we got we have more stuff to tell you about, so you must already know who this person is. And, and maybe maybe it's maybe it's just Gordon because Gordon represents the city in like a, a all, purity or something. Yeah, he's the altruism in Gotham City and he's not a vigilante. He does everything yeah. by the rules. Yes, exactly. Because yeah. you were saying like why not why not uh you know, why Barbara? But I think that it's just to the Joker anyways, it's more about what he knows that Gordon represents and, and Gordon's character and at the very least, that's his daughter and that's mm-hmm. you know incredibly hurtful anyways. And I, I think there should have been a little more play between Batman and her in that way. On some level, this is a standalone story and that I don't think the existence of Batgirl, not the existence of Barbara, mm-hmm. but I don't think the existence of Batgirl 
so much even matters in this story as a standalone piece. And I think there's been some discussion, you know, back in the day over whether this should be considered canon. And then they started to write as Oracle and certain things like the effects of this story are now in continuity. So therefore this is in continuity, you know, but like, I, I mean, I think her being Batgirl is part of it. Cause when Batman talks to her in the hospital, she says, she's like something he's different this time. Something about him is different. She has a conversation with Batman. Yeah. And I Barbara think Gordon's son, and she calls him Bruce, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they clearly they know each other. I just I mean like her suiting up is not super important. I want to put this frame up oh, to yeah. the camera here because yeah. th- this reminds me of the Gary Frank shot when Two Face got transformed into Two Face right in front of his sister uh, Jessica Dent in in Earth One. I know we keep coming back to that story, but it, it was just really significant. And the weight of that was not just the horrific injury to dent but it was the tears in her eyes the expressive drawing of her face it felt so real and that's what we're getting from this barbara that says no it's not okay he's taking it to the limit this time you didn't see you didn't see his eyes and you see this desperation on her face uh in the hospital room and i i think that is just one of the best panels in this entire book yeah i agree with you yeah, some of these old school guys are killing it with how well versed they are in just drawing facial features and human expression. Yeah, they learned anatomy before they were drawing capes, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously, some of these dudes are killing it. What else we got? Oh, uh, you know, sexy midgets in uh, bondage gear. That's, uh... <laughs> the uh, I, that's another one where I felt like, I guess it's the Joker's stick, but like real little people or fat ladies or whatever. I don't think they all like are ready to become psychos at the drop of <laughs> No, I would listen to that guy. <laughs> you know what? He's He's got some smart things to say. I'm going to go join his creepy close circus. He's, he's known for his solid leadership qualities. <laughs> what if he just... Because I, I look weird, so that means I must fit in with this psycho. Not everybody looks sweet on like a doll baby pile with a rope at the top. You know, he really pulls it off. Though. That's a great shot, too. I appreciate more of him being nuts now. Because I think that's something that was completely lost on me when I was younger. The shot of him on top of a pile of dolls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just like a crazy guy thing. It's like the uh, back cover of In Utero. Have you ever seen that? Uh, he no. was like... The, the cover of uh, Nirvana's In Utero is that winged female anatomy mannequin. Yeah. And on the back of it is all uh, the same type of like, you know, medical mannequin sort of thing. But it's all <laughs> like... It's all like fetus parts from from those just scattered everywhere. It's weird, but that's what it reminded me of. Um, another the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> no, just the trough of baby limbs leading up the stairs reminded me of of the back cover there. Another good expressive panel is in the beginning where he, he's purchasing the park from that guy yes and uh, when you get the first good shot of the dude's now joker face like that's such a good skill he looks awesome you know in all the uh the modern joker stuff i still would love every time they incorporate a little hand buzzer or the <laughs> the, the pin 
the pin prick, <laughs> the Smilex pin prick thing, you know, on on the hand that transforms these people. Like, I still get such a kick out of that classic shit. Any anytime he starts a conversation, and by the end of it, they're white faced and smiling. It's awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just a especially when cool, when like thing. nothing happens. There's no event. There's no big swing and a change and a a dunk in a chemical. It's just like a real subtle. I'm gonna keep monologuing. You know, casual handshake. Yeah. yeah. Is that why you're so anti high five, Sam? You're like afraid that someone's gonna <laughs> smile at you. Slip, yeah, slip you the hand needle. Uh, yeah, that must be it. No, I guess I always just associated that with like um, frat guys and sports teams or something. You know, it's like a high five is like the most innocent thing. Like what? grandma's, grandma's probably high five. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful, explosive affirmation of your existence and someone else's. I just guess. A momentary, hey, we're both here. Yeah, it's like a miniature Big Bang. You just kind of <laughs> yeah. create. You just create an awesome fucking universe. You're not holding on to each other. It's over quickly. I, you know. I don't know. No I'm more of a like a, a handshake or a short hugger. Oh, that's creepy. You you're know? like you're inter you're interlocking. And you're wrapping around. Uh, I mean, right, I'm more of a, a one finger butt tickler myself. <laughs> I mean, right, I don't know if I'll be touching another person ever again after this shit. But <laughs> so I took Evan's advice. I showed you guys earlier, but I took the jacket off of my hardcover. I never thought to do that prior to <gasps> you saying that recently. And that green fucking the green and black rendition of the the final. Laughter silhouettes is so uh -huh. fucking good. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean that's one of those things that makes me. If I ever have a book like that, I just want to take the dust cover off and put it somewhere else. Yeah, I think that looks much better. The, the cover like that. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I guess we should probably talk about the ending then. Um, yeah, the face. You, on the you have all the Gordon. Awesome. You have like the whole Gordon kidnapping stuff and everything. Well, I mean, we talked a lot about the the dialogue, the message of that. He's naked. It's it's a weird time for everybody. Yeah, the whole the whole idea is to confront Jim Gordon with all these terrible things that have happened to him and his daughter to to push him over the edge to show that Joker is not special. Joker is not something unique. He's just what happens to people when stuff you know, go wrong. In that regard, the Dark Knight drew on that the same way because that was their their confrontation when the fairies didn't blow each other up, and he's like. Mm. Is that what you're trying to prove? That deep down everyone's just as fucked up as you? And my, my only complaint, as much as I love that movie, is that if it was realistic, one of those boats would have blown up. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. I'm not talking people are bad, people are good, I'm just saying one of those boats would have blown up. Well, That's usually how it goes. See, I, I think having that... Who did he play? Debo? Yeah, Tiny Lister. Yeah, yeah. Debo throwing that shit out the window was the only way that one was not going off. <laughs> final joke like the first time i read this i'm pretty sure my reading comprehension was okay then too i understand <laughs> i understood words in order and that they meant things but i didn't even understand it not only did i not understand the joke but i didn't understand the whole thing of batman laughing at it at the end but again looking at these characters of batman it just represents order and joker represents chaos of people in people of reacting to the world and the idea that Batman saying, again, despite all these terrible things that the Joker has done and the situation he's been in, it's like, I can help you. I can still help you. 
we can figure out a way to work through this so you don't have to be this way. And so we don't have to kill each other. We can do something different. And then his joke is just like, these two guys are escaping from a terrible situation. The one guy gets all the way across and he says, I'll, I'll help you. And he's like, no, I'm afraid I can't do it. And it's like, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to let me get halfway and then you're going to pull the rug out from under me. Yeah. Like the, just those two conflicting ideas about what it is to believe in order and things working and mm-hmm. to, to not, to believe things aren't going to work and you can't trust people and things are bad, so you should be bad. I don't think I ever read that far into it. Yeah, I like that he's telling a story about two people, so it could obviously represent the two of them. Yeah, I've done all these terrible things, and now you're saying you're going to help me. It's, the world hasn't helped me. I know what you're mm-hmm. going to do. I know the way this is. I appreciate this compassionate version of Batman. There's multiple ways that he could reduce crime in this city, but one of them is you know, the retention of love or whatever it is or you know, seeing the potential in people that he's not, he's not just like trying to lock all these fools up because that's their destiny or something. He, you know, he, to whatever, whatever that looks like, he cares about this dude as a human and wants the best for him. Yeah, arguably like the worst person he knows. Yeah. And I think that line is the most telling about that whole introduction conversation that they have. And they uh, put it in the voiceover again later when they had the final showdown. But yeah, it's in you the know, monologue on the comic. Yeah, yeah. And he says, I want to at least know that I made the effort. You know? Uh-huh. It's like, yeah. I have to know that everyone knows where this is going to end up, but I have to at least know for myself that I tried uh-huh. to reason with the unreasonable. You know? Like, he knows it's futile. But he has to do it for his conscience. Because that's who he is, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that they that they revisit the, the intro dialogue. I always think that that's a cool tool to, to, to bring it back. Like, it was um, it was significant then. It's significant to this new scene. I think that's cool. Ben, when you were talking... Meeting him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, ben, uh, I, I was just thinking for the first time while you were talking that um, the whole time and Batman's kind of he's talking about it in the beginning and in the end about how they don't actually know each other and he doesn't know about this dude's backstory so I think it's cool that we as the audience get the backstory while Batman still has no backstory I yeah. never thought about how those things were simultaneously going on like nope Batman's still clueless he's not getting the information that we're getting mm-hmm. we're getting it and he's proceeding with the same perspective yeah but even some of that, I mean, Batman, like I said, they don't know each other. Like, they don't know what school they went to or what music they like. But they know each other through their deeds, through what they do. Yeah. And I'm sure Batman knows who he is. I mean, he's he's a guy who bad stuff happened to. Mm-hmm. And he went the wrong way because of it. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he knows him. He gets that. I think we do know what kind of music that Joker listens to, though. Because it reminds me of an old <laughs> David Tell joke. He's like, I was just thinking about the song that I lost my virginity to. And he's like, I don't know about you guys, but the song I lost my virginity to, I'll never forget it. It's that one that goes, What do we think about in this final confrontation that Ben's talked about? Oh, I forgot how fast he was. And, you know, Joker's kind of just an unpredictable guy. He's not the best fighter, but, like, he gets the drop on him. He pulls the gun. He fires it, and out comes the little click-click flag, you know? Yeah, Batman wasn't counting bullets earlier. He didn't know that. 
Um, yeah, exactly. There's no mention of that. So, I mean, that could have had a much different ending right there. And uh, that could have had the Red Hood ending where they both just fucking died together. Batman's bleeding yeah. out, and he's like, well, if I'm going out, I'm just going to crack your neck. <laughs> is this before or after Dark Knight Returns? I think this is after. I want to say that was 87. Well, just what a different perspective on a final confrontation between Batman and the Joker in a carnival that has like almost the opposite takeaway yeah. from this kind of Batman. It's true. Now, yeah. like, oh, fuck it, you should just kill him. Yeah. I'm do it. I'll slowly break Which, my own neck back around. Yeah. <laughs> so what do we think of the uh, the final frames? I know everyone has kind of their own thought on that. I don't understand that that there's any like thought or division on what it means or what it is. That means it is definitively one of them for you. <laughs> if you think there's no debate. He sends him back to Arkham or whatever. That's all. He doesn't fucking kill him. The story doesn't end with Batman killing the Joker. It completely undermines the whole point of it. Maybe uh, it's just him trying to talk out the, the thing that he knows he's going to have to bring himself to do later. Maybe all that preamble is just... Him going, I I don't want to fucking do this, but I might have to do this. Yeah, maybe he's just, no, I'm totally not going to kill this guy. And then the cameras turn off and then he kills him. He was just trying to get him to like, no, you can stop rolling now. I suppose I didn't fully absorb that, that the last two panels have no more laughter over them. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is that given that that is the subtext of this story and then his overt actions are... Th this is them going, well, what's the farthest Joker could take it? There is a... Not just a shooting, but there is... Heavily implied the rape of a bleeding out gunshot victim. And then the using of those photos to show the, you know, stripped and tortured father... That's like psychological I mean, torture. I mean, they're yeah, they're going physical, psychological, every level of what is, what is the fucking line? What is it going to take for Batman just snaps this fucking dude's neck? You know, th that's what this whole thing is about. And so I think that's why that is a valid question at the end. You know, and especially with the one bad day shit, it's like you're on this path, man. You're gonna do it. I'm gonna make you do it. Watch Enjoy me make up. you do this it. This is one bad. This isn't just one bad day for Gordon. This is one bad day for Batman. That's what I'm saying. Like th this yeah. is this is Joker saying, um, like that to Gordon. Like, oh, I'm gonna turn you. You know, like he he wants to turn him. But at the same time, all of this, it's just like in the in the Red Hood. All that black mask shit was just to get to Joker. Like all of this Gordon shit is also just to get to Batman because that's his game. He wants to push him there. He wants to take it all the way. What's it going to take? And that's the great question about this story. Is Batman fake laughing in the end or real laughing in the end? Is he lulling the Joker so that he can murder him or is it a legit funny joke and then he doesn't die? I think he's legitimately laughing, but you can have a, like a laughter response. And then kill someone? Yeah, I'm yeah, I do saying, that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just mean you can have, like, you can be angry and laugh, or someone can say something like stupid or aggressive towards you, and your initial unfiltered, uncalculated response can be to laugh, but see, like a, or smile. 
But you're saying that, in, like, there might be some sincerity in that. Like, he's laughing at the joke. I don't, I don't read it that way. I feel like he is... Okay, I'm picturing Wonder Woman. She gets knocked... Okay. She gets knocked... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have one hand in my pants. No. Um, oh, set the scene. So, <laughs> I can see you. You don't have yeah. to describe I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I'm picturing Wonder Woman in her debut with Gal Gadot, right? She's fighting Doomsday. She gets knocked to the ground. She brushes herself off and has this little smirk like, all right, motherfucker. And it's sort of like a, okay, it's on. Like, all right, we're going to take it there. Let's fucking take it there. To me, that laugh is a, oh, holy fuck. All right, like, this is getting real. To me, to me, that is a laugh of like, I'm not not like insanity or something like that, but of taking the most extreme emotions and you are not going to scream and you are not going to cry. You are going to laugh that out for a moment because you have to just expel something at that moment. I, I like, don't think they're all that different. This whole story is building to the confrontation between the two of them. And Batman says, again, despite everything the Joker has done, what he's just seen him do, I will help you. After I've just told you not that long ago that I'm afraid this is going to end with one of us killing the other one. Everything you've done here is... Are you reaching into your pants? What are you doing? I'm grabbing the book again. Oh, okay. I'm, uh, and he says all that stuff. And so, this, and so despite all of that, he still says to him in the end, I will help you. We can figure this out. We can work through it. Because I get that you are someone that bad things have happened to. I will help you. And Joker's response to that is to basically reveal to him that he is afraid that he's going to hurt him just like everyone else has hurt him, the way everything else has hurt him. I, I think his laugh, it's not that it's like a funny joke, because it's not a funny joke, but that that is how the Joker responded to him offering to help him despite all of this. That's funny to him. That's genuinely funny. And oh, it could be okay. attention kind of funny, but it is humorous. Okay, so you're, yeah. you're talking about the joke earlier and what the joke itself says, all right? So, I think you're right that there is more into that than there's more to that than I had acknowledged, because Batman's last lines are quite a bit before the end. Like the last two entire pages are Joker Joker's monologue, and then the laugh, and then silence. Okay, so going back three pages from the end is Batman saying maybe. I've been there too. Maybe I can help. And we don't have to kill each other. What do you say? And that's when Joker then says the thing about the two guys and one turns off the light. And like you're saying, it's showing that they see this situation entirely differently. And I hadn't really appreciated that before. But I think him saying that is going, yeah, I hear you, man. That's not going to fucking happen. And, and, yeah, and Batman's going, because I don't trust you. Yeah, but then it's Batman. I don't trust you to help me. But I can read this as Batman going, okay, I fucking tried. Now I have to kill you. Yeah. I mean, it's all there. It's like yeah. a long-winded, sarcastic response or something. Joker's like, I hear you, but fuck you, and let me tell you a joke because this is why. But I, I, don't, I don't see it as that because what he's revealing in the joke, he is the guy, who the other guy who's made it to the other side, He's the guy who still has to cross the bridge. Yes. He's, he's telling the guy to help him yeah, that he is afraid. The Joker, the guy who's supposed to be the craziest nutso guy, the guy who's done these despicable things, just mm -hmm. revealed to Batman 
that he's afraid he's afraid of someone trying to help him. So I mean, I think, I think there's something to the idea that he's laughing about the fact that yeah, he's like, well, I tried, and I guess now I have to kill him because that's what this whole thing has been leading to. But I think it's also that kind of laughter response, which is not just like I want to scream, but I'm going to laugh instead. But like you laugh when something surprises you and you're caught off guard. Yes, that's why, true. Like, something frightening can make you laugh, and you are genuinely laughing because it surprised you and caught you off guard. Mm-hmm. That's and true. That's what I see that as, and I think that doesn't that doesn't um, discount. An interpretation that he's laughing also because, like, okay, I guess this is where it is now, and now I'm going to kill you. Yeah, I, that could be there too. I get that. There's more depth to this than I would have acknowledged five minutes ago. And I'm glad that you brought. <laughs> I'm glad that you interpreted the joke because I hadn't thought about that at all. And now you saying it represents his fear of trying to change. I think it's just the nihilistic side of him saying, well, I don't even believe that's possible. But using that joke as the framework, the idea that somebody is offering that, that very specific joke. If Joker is the, the second dude in this story and he's just kind of distrusting because life has spurned him. So the guys in the past were offering him a life raft when he really needed it, but there's a prime example of just why I, I just can't trust people. You know, in, in this case, even if it is change, maybe it is his sanity and salvation or something. He's just like, no, nah, I've been fucked too many times by too many things to yeah, that, to ever accept that. That previous situation is the perfect example because these shitty mob guys are getting him to do this job, which he thinks they're giving him a lifeline. And it's clear from what happens in the plant that it's actually just so that he can, they can pin the ringleader thing on him in case something mm-hmm. happens. Yeah, they're just scapegoating him. Yeah, and then so after he learns out his wife is dead and he tells them, well, I don't want to do this. There's no point to it. They say, you still have to do it. You still need to do it. No. Like that's that's what he's drawing on in his experience of other people. Sandy, you're talking about the absence of sound or words in the last couple panels, and I never noticed that. I just kind of chalked it up to uh, just sort of a, uh, just like kind of a quiet, camera pan away or something just kind of, just kind of an odd ending just a, just like they, a weird fade out they put joker into the car and now it's just <laughs> kind of quiet and and we're it's like the it's i mean it's the same as the way the story starts on a puddle with no sound yeah it so, can uh, also be that the camera zoomed past the text so the text is still there <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, w- I was just thinking that um that it was that it was just more of a visual thing like ends on this weird note here's a couple Here's a couple silent pictures of some raindrops, <laughs> so you can think about some stuff. Uh, but it, it makes me wonder because you guys are, uh, oftentimes, both of you guys are the ones really delving into this stuff, and it makes me wonder how much is intentional on the author's part. Is Moore's a real smart guy? I think it's it's always really interesting to be like. Oh, or, you know, here, we're earlier, we're talking about, like, nope, everybody else is just going to do the work in the future, you know. For all I know, they're like, well, I didn't write anymore, and you still have to draw two panels of paper. <laughs> and, you know, maybe maybe there isn't anything, but um, it, it makes me wonder a couple things. You know, what his actual intentions were, uh, what how he pictured it in his head. Or if his intentions were to leave it up to the audience and to craft the well, kind yeah, of that's, story that's open-ended. That's very much the case. I mean, e- even in this uh, closing afterward from Brian Bolland, 
it ends with him saying, it's time that I revealed what really happened at the end of the killing joke. As our protagonist stood there in the rain, laughing at the final joke, the police lights reflecting in pools of filthy water underfoot, Batman's hand reached out and dot, dot, dot. Uh, so, I mean, they love the debate. That's, that's, yeah, that's the sure. whole point is the, the question of morality. It's the, there's no easy answer. I love that. Huh. Yeah, I guess it just... To me, so much of it is which, which Batman this is or what Batman this is. And I don't mean... I don't mean like which universe or which continuity... But is this Batman, who is Batman, who doesn't kill people, who doesn't matter what you do to him, what you push him, he has lines he won't cross. Or is this Batman at the end? Because uh-huh. in my mind, the end of Batman's story is when he kills people. Yeah, He's not Batman at that point anymore, as far as what we know of Batman. And so if I think about this as the perspective of someone who was like not alive when the story came out, or maybe one or two years old. 88. Who, yeah, so one year old, who read many more Batman comics after this that built on this story, that treat the story as canon, that deal with Barbara being in a wheelchair and having to deal with that. To me, this is a Batman who kept going. So this is a Batman who didn't kill the Joker. Yeah. That's why I think of it so much as he doesn't kill the Joker and why that's obvious. I think it's it's easy to justify that, though, if, with the years of, of context and stories that come after. You're like, well, Joker was in the fucking uh, Death in the Family right after this, you know? Uh, so, like, I mean, there's there's a lot in that reference that this existed, you know? So, I mean, there's there's plenty of ways to interpret that, but just as a standalone piece, I think the answer depends on the Batman that you want it to be. You know, I think, uh, I think it's, it's all going to be our own individual projection of what Batman would do in that situation. Because, I mean, I grew up on Michael Keaton as much as I grew up on Kevin Conroy. So, like... That I, guy kills people all the time. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like... Yeah, Michael I, Keaton wants to get crazy. I love... That, <laughs> Let's get crazy. Stop. <laughs> God no, damn it. Let's get wild. I mean... Oh, yeah, yeah. No. I, I'm on joke, let's wild out. I know, I misquote stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah, wilding out with the Joker. <laughs> um, but, you know, so, like, I, at its core, believe that the Batman story is always the non-lethal approach, you know? I think that that is the, the, the definitive version, but uh, I, I do love and appreciate other versions, and I see this... Uh, really, really writing that line. I mean, there's, it's very heavily suggested, and it's you just kind of got to decide what the fuck you want it to be. And I've gone back and forth, you know. Yeah, I get that. But there's no big uh, crack thing, so I know he didn't kill. But crack? No, you know the words "crack" don't appear in the last panel to let you know that he cracked his neck, or there was no blamo. Yeah, but what if what if he just squeezed his throat? No, then there would have been like a one. What I've read he, enough comic books to know there's always written sound when something <laughs> significant happens. But if he kissed him, he's a little sweet. <laughs> yeah, it could be mouths interlocked. That could be what's happening there. Yeah, that's when their souls collided and they became lovers. <laughs> no, it's like uh, how Sh- was no longer Batman, any Batman or Joker. There was just them. <laughs> yeah. It's like how Max Shrek went out. A kiss. Yeah. <laughs> oh, going true. back to the mask. There's always time. <laughs> <For a> kiss. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, pros and cons. 
What do we got for pros here? I think it's short and sweet. No wasted space at all. Yeah. The definitive tenets of the Joker character that went on to define every story that came after it. Sure. And then it is just beautifully illustrated. I mean, the most, debatably the most iconic Joker ever drawn. Yeah. And, yeah. And he almost never did it again after this. Very genius. Yeah, his, for sure. His, I, I don't mean that as a criticism. The thought that his chin could even be that long is <laughs> kind of out of this world, but it's also like a super iconic version of him. I, I really like that, you know, huge pro is that this story is pulling off what it's pulling off for the time frame that it's pulling this stuff off. I mean, it's it's ahead of its time as far as exploring content and the story that it's trying to tell. Yeah. In Batman, in a mainstream superhero yeah, comic, yeah. or a mainstream character. Yeah. yeah. Its own comic. Totally. I, uh, in the same way that you talk about this being definitive for all the Joker that comes after it, in the same way I think it does that for Batman too. I'm yeah. just really hammering how much of it is about not killing people. Yeah. Just, I mean, that's, he'll put you in traction, break your arms, he'll do all sorts of things to you, but killing people is just not what he does. He loves jokes, also. Yeah. <laughs> Sharp sense of humor. Yeah. Seriously, the first time I read this, I got to the end and I was like, well, that's not a funny joke. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Yeah. I don't understand. It's irony. I probably did, too. I don't know. I hadn't read this until after Sam and I watched it in the theaters when it came out. Oh, yeah. We saw that premiere night. Yeah, exactly. And so I didn't really know that the stuff in the beginning was new content or anything. I was familiar with the imagery, but especially in a live action or an animated version, by the time I got to the end and then that's how it ended, I was like, what? Just <laughs> with a with a book, you see it coming. You know the the pages are running out. With a movie I've never seen before, you don't know when the the clock's ticking. But I have no idea when this stuff stops, and I'm not familiar with the story. So then to have it end like that, I was like, "You're waiting for Shredder to show up on the catwalk." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just, you gotta bust your hand through, man. Come on. Well, yeah. and I love that because it ends with the rain. That uh, in the movie, the Rain sound continues and credits just start popping up on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. It's got, yeah, just a real anti-climax. And I was like, well, all right. And then I, <laughs> I appreciated it more reading it after the fact though. It's like the fun shit that you talk about with your friends after you read it. It's not necessarily the like big bam, pow, satisfying heroic <clears throat> ending, you know? It's how you feel the next day, not leaving the theater. Yeah, I kind of, I, I kind of wish that if I had any con, it would just be that none of us have the benefit of seeing this stuff so early on. We read so many other things before we got to read this stuff, and we know of its impact. But we've also seen things after that are more graphic, or you know, have written from a similar angle or something like that. I wish that all of us could have had the introduction of like coming from an '80s. Batman or something like that and then had the benefit of reading this when it came out so we all could also be like oh my god yeah because so much so much of modern Batman and Joker comes from this totally or benefits from this deep dive into their psychology yeah I mean this and predates we, we that. Keaton and everybody you know it's the kind of perspective that we'll never get to have because 
you know, just based on our life or whatever. Because if you've read Berserk or any of these things, like none of the stuff in this book is phasing me, but it had I come from a time where I'd not seen any of this and all of our perspectives were more innocent or something, this would have been like a real kick in the ass and I think it would have been nice. Well, there's that thing of Brian Bollard's, uh, am I saying his name right? Brian Bollard? What, there's an Bolland. N. N. Bolland. Yeah. yeah. Bolland. The, it is afterward of getting like a letter from a very angry woman because her seven-year-old <laughs> or something like that. Or something, or something. Like you, you'd be shocked if you were expecting something else. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Different kind of Batman story. Okay, does this one have a rape in it? Let me thumb through it first. <laughs> I yeah. appreciate you, Sam. You've got the poster behind you. The, <laughs> the poster for the animated version is just a zoomed out and redrawn version of the book's cover. I think that's cool. Yeah, I actually found that. I use Facebook Marketplace. I have little notifications for Batman and Hot Toys and shit like that, Joker, whatever. And uh, I got a notification one day, and it was like, Killing Joke, poster, $4 or something. And I was like, yes, I'll come over right now. <laughs> like, great. Made my day. I, I'm a dork. I've got $4. <laughs> Perfect collision of it. Let's high five. Let's make a deal. <laughs> so any other cons? I didn't really, I didn't write any down. Uh, my con is that your Batman Killing Joke poster is not as cool as the Batman and Robin one that I got for you. I mean, it's technically up. It's just kind of covered up by cardboard cutouts right now. Mm. It'd be way doper if you put it above your bed in the bedroom. Um, no. <laughs> okay, in the shower, you laminate it. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> no, man. It's, it's got to be something that's comparable. That one does have a high five or a handshake or something in it. A fist bump, I think. Yeah, there you go. Interlocked fingers. It's a dab. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, I know, it's a reiteration of what I said before. The, the closest thing I get to a con is just that I wish Barbara got a little better treatment as far as... Yeah. But I think that's less, as you sort of argued, less to do with the disrespect to the character and more just this is a short story and it's... Not central to it, but she's to me. She's such a big part of Batman. Like I like Bat Girls and Bat Woman more than I like Robin, just for a visual thing. I like the Bat aesthetic, and so those characters are important to me, and I like them. And so for her to be in this story, but to be so small in it, despite being so big in it, I, maybe I wish that was a little different. But it's not that big a deal. This would be like if Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent, you know, in in Batman '89. If they like used him for some like crazy shit like that, but then he still never got to be Two Face. <laughs> <laughs> you never see him again in the movie. <laughs> Plus, if you were to have more stuff with Barbara, what would it be? Just more think, talking, talking in the apartment, because you certainly don't want to see like more of the violent stuff that's going on with her. No, I think a I think a little more. Well, it would either be more with her in the hospital, but the hospital scene is done. I mean, it's a very it's masterful. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a very good show point. on how to do something minimally. Yeah, I think it would be more of just her before the story happens. I mean, that's what the movie does. Yeah. You'll have to check that out because it's, I mean, it's a mixed bag, but I mean, they have her at college. They have her with Batman. They have some other weird shit I'm not going to talk about, but I mean, <laughs> they, but they do flesh out her character quite a bit more. And I do think, I will say, a lot of the perspective that I'm coming at from that is someone who's been alive after this story. Yeah. 
with like Batgirl in the eighties, I don't think her stories were super deep, and I think she even stopped being Batgirl. So I can understand it coming from that direction, where that wasn't like that is in the film actually that she gives it up. Yeah, uh, they have sort of a contentious relationship building up to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trifecta. Is there detective work here? I think it's more just mind games. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I don't, there's not much detective, and not like he gets a literal invitation with the address. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty straightforward, Sherlock. And I, I, this is a, maybe a good example of. So those are the three things that I think are central to who Batman is, but their absence in a story doesn't necessarily count as a negative. Yeah, mm. this is just a story that doesn't need a whole lot of him at a computer or with a forensics kit. Yeah. yeah. It's not what you're trying to tell. There's yeah. not a lot of ninja happening here. As I mentioned, the Joker got the drop on him. But he has one moment after that that balances that out. When after he got the drop on him and hit him in the head with the two-by-four, and like he pulled on his face mask, and Batman's trying to adjust it, and Joker's coming behind him with a switchblade to stab him, and he just catches Joker's hand with the knife without oh. even looking or rotating his body. True, yes. That's pretty cool. Pretty badass. Batman's trauma? It's there. It's more about his trauma and his relationship with the Joker. Yeah. What Just you... like that. I, or not wanting to kill people, I guess. He's just frustrated with not murdering people. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. You've been wearing on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shit, Batman is the Joker. <laughs> See, right when you got to the, the meat of that line, you cut out. Oh, I said... <laughs> I Shit, Batman is... The Joker. Okay. Ah. That's the point of the story. We are all Batman and the Joker, man. Whoa! Mind blown. Rate Ratings? Uh, I'm going to say four. It's a four for me, too. It's an excellent story. I just want more martial arts. <laughs> you just said the absence of those things doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't. No, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean a story is bad. But I just want more martial arts. What can I tell you? I don't know. This version of Batman is like a super old school looking Batman. Yeah. But the artist treatment though is like so much more detailed. Like his head looks ridiculous, and the and he's got the crazy ears. Those are so but, awesome, so pointed. Yeah, it's like they they curve and they really point like they're just solid objects. I just think it's cool. Like a, a newer dude's really detailed take on an old school look. So that look of him with where his bat ears basically look like devil horns. If you look at before he's the Joker, everything leading up to Ace Chemicals, and now he's in this shitty situation that he didn't want to be in, the two shitty guys he was with have now been killed by the police. He's just trying to get away. He doesn't want to be there. And Batman's like young, gung-ho Batman. Hmm. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to stop this because this is my thing and I'm going to do it my way. The way he looks, combined with the fact that everything that's happened to the Joker and he's wearing the red hood mask, which is claustrophobic, it tints everything red. It literally looks like the devil yeah. is coming after him. Yeah. I think he actually has a slightly different suit in the flashback, too. I want to say he might have the gold emblem. I'm trying to think if that was in the book or just in the movie. Because I was trying Maybe to just. Different costumes. I was trying to just look at the book and listen. But. And that picture on the back cover of that book is super creeping, too. You randomly, <laughs> yeah, you the, randomly keep calling The side profile. <laughs> okay. Did you guys read the bonus short story that Brian Ballin did, An Innocent Man? Yeah, I did, yeah. I thought that was great that he got to, I think it was, it might have been Bermejo and Noel. I guess artists will do this sometimes where they'll 
have sort of an imagination sequence where they get to draw all the characters who aren't in the story, but Mm -hmm. they use the rogues gallery just for a second. Like, I thought that was really cool. That's why they let the writers write, because if you let the artists write, they just come up with stories where they murder Batman. Yeah, what do I want to draw? We'll leave the writing to the writers, and you guys just make the pictures. (laughs) I love that, too, because, like, all the shit's in this dude's head, and, you know, like, if if he ever tried, like, step one of this 10-part plan or whatever, he would just wind up in jail with a broken leg or whatever. You know, like, it just... <laughs> over. Dislocated arm. And- yeah, just, like, over before it starts. You'll never draw again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this this story had a... Where is he? Uh, Which is pretty good. All right. looking for the Joker early on. It's, like, it's written out like that. Like, where is W-H-E... R-R-R-R-R-E. Yeah, yeah. That's what I heard. That's how I heard it. Where is he? <laughs> I'm going to have to give it the full five because I think even though it's not about, for me, the acts necessarily, but all of the baggage that comes with it that leads to these great discussions and the many different interpretations that were inspired from this, I think there's just so much great shit here and the artwork just it doesn't get better than this. So yeah. between those two things, I mean I literally have a blank con section. So I feel like I'd be doing it a disservice to give this thing less than a 5 cuz it's just so fucking it's a once in a lifetime lightning in a bottle kind of story, you know. It's it's, a classic. it's not one that I want to read all the time. It's not my first choice go-to, oh, I want to read Batman, I'm going to pick this up. It's not mm. that. But it is just a monumental piece of work that... Well, and maybe I, this is another reason why I don't give it a full five. I can I can understand it getting a five. I would entertain the idea of giving more rating like that. But this is back to that whole, there, there are two kinds of Batman. There's Batman in stories where you want to be him. Yeah. And there are Batman in stories where you don't want to be him. And this is one of those ones where you don't want to be Batman because it's not, it's not like a fun power fantasy where he's taking on bad guys and he's skilled at this. Is like, this is someone in a bad position yeah, dealing with bad things. The fact that he's a tough guy who beats people up doesn't really have any, doesn't give him a leg up on this situation or the problems that come of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I like it is it's more of the psychology of it. That interests me as much as the action does. I don't sit around watching John Wick movies, really. You know, <laughs> I do. I've never, I've never seen one. You know, uh, um, pretty good. I like. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I like some of that shit. You know, I like Die Hard movies, whatever. But like, that's not why I go for Batman. There's, there's an emotional depth. There's something else going on in these stories that I really like. Well, and. I gave Red Hood a really high rating, too, or Phantasm. And those are also Batman. I don't want to be... That's not a death knell for a rating, either. I don't know why I don't give it a full five. It's just... I'm not forcing you to. I said I mine, like you're me and to. now you I feel, feel guilt. I feel your grip on my body, even though you're far away. I feel it squeezing the life out of me. I'm force-choking your dick. <laughs> um, you can do that. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, that feels good. <laughs> that's like Dr. Manhattan fucking his girl while he's in the other room, you know? well nothing weird about that at all that is our show and this concludes our joker series 
And next time we're coming back with uh, Change of Pace. It's going to be another animated jam from back in the day with Kevin Conroy and the animated series crew. This is going to be Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero. Now, if you're excited for that, please subscribe to it. You can help us spread the word. Just take a screenshot, let people know you were listening, put it in your stories. And uh, yeah, we appreciate you guys. On a more serious note, since we recorded these episodes, we lost two icons in the Batman community. I just want to shout out a special RIP to the legend Denny O'Neill and RIP to Joel Schumacher.